Transmitting from the Mojave Wilderness in Joshua Tree, California. Now is the time for Desert Oracle Radio, the voice of the desert. Night has fallen on the desert. The time of night when we gather round our radios for story time. We have always been suckers for story time. That's about the only historical fact disputed by no one at all. It is the greatest theater, the mystery of the darkness. The flicker and crackle of a fire. The distant sounds of the breeze and the night birds. In the round, as they say in show business. In the song and dance trade. I think the way they shut down live performance around the world for a year straight did the most psychic damage to us, for adults at least. The billion or so kids who got a year-plus sensory deprivation sentence are forever changed in ways we will not begin to understand until the end of this decade. When the Hydra head comes all the way up. For all of us, I do not even have the option of seeing a public performance. A honky-tonk band. Live theater. A monster movie down at the multiplex. A baseball game. A drunken wedding. A Sunday sermon. Well, that was something that gnawed all year long at our very humanity. Great changes were already in the works. And we have been all too willing volunteers for these global-scale experiments in turning us all into pod people. Destroying our remaining neighborhood businesses to the direct and immediate financial benefit of a dozen or so technology companies that have just managed to take a much bigger bite out of our lives, trying to keep us shut off from the world around us. Prescribe just enough pills and yoga and stimulus checks and augmented reality video game therapy to keep us all from cracking up completely. But right on the verge. Theama, that's ancient Greek for both a vision and a spectacle. Six of one, half dozen of the other. From Theama, we get theater, originally in the round, around the fire, where the storyteller was also a comedian, a mystic, a mimic, and more than anything, a doctor, because life is hard and it always wants your attention. 
Now, a shaman may or may not do some hands-on healing as part of this communal ritual, like Jesus did in the public squares or in the natural theater of a fishing boat as stage with the multitudes gathered around the lake shore. Sometimes these rituals took place in a cave that provided the dark and the quiet required for the ceremonies, the initiation, the mysteries. The sacred mysteries of old Greece were like this. People were not consumers there to be entertained, but members of the congregation, following an ancient script, sharing the sacred drink that made the beautiful old rituals come alive in their hearts. All were healed, not least the priests, the performers, the entertainers themselves, the sickest of them all. Playwrights, actors, outcasts, jugglers, musicians, dancers, visionaries, the weird and the damned. Today, if you're a little weird, they put you on a pharmaceutical diet before you're out of short pants. No matter. The weird will always break out somewhere along the way. The weird will find a way. But when your society is sick and your healing rituals are gone and you have no system for integrating the oddballs, well, maybe some of your oddballs will find their way to the stage or the pulpit. And maybe some of them become serial killers or politicians or hedge fund managers. In olden days, early in our species and reaching back to the Neanderthals and our other various cousins, each little group of people had a shaman. The one who was a little bit or a lot off from the beginning. Maybe they were creepy. Or they had visions. Or prophecies. Or they did not look like everybody else. Or they were always making puppets out of animal heads. That kid's not right, somebody might say. And then, the not right would apprentice to the shaman, the field doctor, the clown-in-chief. Everybody was part of the ritual. That's what makes it different than a non-ritual performance. You come to take part, to be healed. If you ever come across a 1985 book by Rogan Taylor called The Death and Resurrection Show, well, grab that thing up because it's a rarely seen treasure. And in this book, the whole development of entertainment from the fire ring rituals of our very distant ancestors to the stadium rituals of rock and roll. It's all in there. And plenty of modern performances can transcend entertainment and become transformative ritual for various specialized populations. Even within the agnostic framework of casino ballrooms and summer music festivals. 
rock stars and famous preachers both leave people screaming and moaning and falling faint. In the 2016 book Tune In, John Lennon is amazed to find children in wheelchairs always lined up at the dressing room doors at the height of Beatlemania. Each child was there to be touched, to be healed. John Lennon wanted to make good records and not have to work a day job. But the Beatle maniacs needed him to be a healer, a messiah. And in the 1970s and the 1980s, every city in America had a midnight showing of a campy movie version of a 1973 glam rock musical play called The Rocky Horror Show. And it turned into the longest running movie in history because people turned it into their weekly religious ritual, a full audience participation movie projected on a screen taken over by dozens of people in costume and the rest serving as Greek chorus and throwers of various food items when called for, which was often. It's a rare example of the most proscenium of one-way entertainment stagings, The movie, projected on a rectangular screen framed by theatrical curtains, being ritually rushed by the audience who refused to just sit there and consume the entertainment. They must take part communally. And like the Greek mysteries, newcomers were initiates, virgins, required to endure a memorable hazing to join the cult. The way Richard O'Brien and Jim Sherman conceived and produced the London play was in the round. From 1973 to 1979, the Rocky Horror Show was performed in the round until it had to be restaged for its move to a proscenium theater. The usual psychic barrier between entertainer and audience was back. The metaphorical vertical plane of space in a theater, usually surrounded on the top and the sides by a physical proscenium arch, and on the bottom by the stage floor itself, which serves as the frame into which the audience observes from a more or less unified angle the events taking place upon the stage. Elvis Presley was another one expected to heal the sick at the height of his ministry. When Elvis made his post-Beatlemania return to television in 1968, he did it in the round. The small, rapt audience surrounding the king and his handful of musicians, just these people in rapture around a little stage surrounded by the darkness. And Elvis became a star again overnight, performing the ancient campfire magic. The TV tries, and so does TikTok and the virtual reality isolation goggles, but they do not heal the patient, not usually. Not unless the circumstances are just right. And then you might get some of it across. Set and setting, as Timothy Leary and Richard Alpert taught at Millbrook. That's why churches and temples and mosques have soaring ceilings and are places of ritual quiet and ritual prayer. 
like a sacred grove, a sacred spring or hilltop. The place is always chosen for cathedrals and megalithic structures. Once the state religions took over the duties of the shaman, once the last of the great mystery cults closed down, a new kind of ritual took form. Civilization created both mainstream and free agent entertainers. Mainstream theater, as in Athens, was meant to elevate the culture of the state. The themes were mythological, mostly. As in Roman theater, centuries later, where lines of players wearing their persona mask woodenly recited their lines. Meanwhile, outside on the streets, huge crowds followed the tumblers and the jugglers, the fire-eaters and the snake-charmers, violent puppet shows and lewd dances and magic. The people's culture, the natural home of the performers who did not meet the moral and social standards of the clergy. Here on the streets, the ancient magic had to be hidden, lest the religious authorities find out. The rituals of love and sex, death and dismemberment, healing and resurrection, it could all be done without the audience really being aware of the ancient ceremony they had joined. As commerce became our habit, freelance entertainers had to sell something. Their juggling skills, rope tricks, political satire, good and evil, death and resurrection, virtue and folly. After a real crowd pleaser, one of the players would take off their hat and pass it around. Hats for the sinners, shiny brass collection plates for the priests. In the market squares of the Mediterranean cities, the show people came calling with their covered wagon full of props and costumes. Generally a low-budget operation, some worn-out old horse pulling the crude wagon with the players' props and bedrolls inside, the players themselves mostly strolling alongside, avoiding highway robbers and crooked toll collectors. The main prop, the most important prop, was the Hellmouth. And the most economical way of presenting the Hellmouth with a traveling show was to put it in the back opening of the wagon, hidden until the crucial moment by the fabric flaps of the wagon's opening, the tent door or a curtain hanging between posts or trees, what the Greeks called skini, meaning the curtain flaps on a tent door, then the structure of a wooden stage framed by curtains, and eventually our word scene, as in a theatrical scene or a movie scene. The New Testament, the best-known and most-read Greek book in the history of the world, uses the word skinny dozens of times, usually referring to the tent tabernacles that armies used to carry around the homes of their various gods. The tent hellmouth was the portal not just for magicians and demons, but for Yahweh, or for Zeus to commune with Alexander the Great. It was primal knowledge for audiences everywhere that the supernatural always crawled out of the hell mouth. Jesus himself in the medieval passion plays spends most of his time in hell, 
in ritual battle with the host of the underworld. The Hellmouth was the portal between worlds. In the most elaborate stagings, a burning ring of fire, from which the living and the dead, the mortals and the gods, travel back and forth to our world. In the 16th century, Shakespeare's time, The character most likely to be going into hell was Harlequin, the star of the era, a trickster, a buffoon, a magician who changed gender at will, both a healer and a devil. As Rogan Taylor writes in The Death and Resurrection Show, Harlequin is the only character who escapes to hell. After whatever ridiculous scheme Harlequin once again gets away with, it's time to die and go to hell again. See you next time, suckers. Harlequin became the main character in Commedia dell'arte, the comedy theater style from Italy that swept Europe in the 16th century. Stock characters, endless situations, and complications. Harlequin would often be the servant of some rich but stupid lord. Along with romantic comedy problems, there would be a doctor, a professor, a person of learning, an alchemist, a complete quack, a charlatan. And right behind them, at every feast day and county fair, the Hellmouth was waiting to accept the dead or vomit up some demons or make way for Harlequin's umpteenth return. We don't know much about props at Shakespeare's Globe Theater in the 1590s, but we know at least some of his productions featured an elaborate Hell's Mouth that took a large share of the production budget, made from a huge hogshead barrel ring. You need a backstage for this kind of work, even if your stage sticks out into the audience on three sides, like at the Globe. Or if your backstage is the inside of your covered wagon. When today's U.S. Southwest went from Mexico's military control to United States military control, the clowns and doctors became the medicine show. The Old West medicine show with its aim to sell you some patent medicine, a cure-all, something to soothe what ails you. Then as now, the basic economics have to work out. Just enough people need to buy your stuff. The crowd enjoying the free show is, in fact, your free marketing for the snake oil, which was a real product for a while along with a lot of real tribal remedies from flowers and tree bark. But mostly those favorites of cowboys and ladies of the evening everywhere. Morphine, cocaine, and alcohol. The most famous of the phony Indian cures was the Kickapoo Company, run by white men who sold millions of bottles of their various elixirs. The same sort of stuff you can buy in cute little brown medicine bottles today in Joshua Tree or Sedona or Santa Fe. Tinctures, essential oils, whatever they call it. 
A dose out of these little bottles is a shot of alcohol, more or less, with some added flavorings, which no longer include morphine. No more opium for the teething babies. And the cooks at the chuck wagon no longer keep a supply of cocaine for anybody who asks. Because everything's illegal if you don't have a script from Dr. Nick. The medicine show can be a low-budget affair as it started in medieval Europe, when secular theater was banned in one country after another. Or it could be one of the 25 big shows that Kickapoo Medicine Company sent out to the Wild West mining towns and lumber camps. There's a street in Yucca Valley called Kickapoo, one of the geographically incorrect tribal names used in the 1950s town's first residential neighborhood. Probably came from Little Abner, where the Old West Kickapoo medicine was borrowed for moonshine, Kickapoo joy juice. Just like everything in Pioneer Town is named for phony Hollywood Western cereals and not anything that ever happened in the actual place. Some of the medicine show brands that survived the transition to radio and television are Anison, Bear, Coca-Cola, Don's Pills, 7-Up, and Geritol. The Kickapoo Medicine Shows developed the ancient market square show into a science. The doctor professor dressed in tuxedo and top hat with lots of jewelry to show off his success to the rubes. There would be an Indian shaman, too. Usually the real thing, not a showbiz entertainer by birth, working side-by-side with trick horsemen, gunfighters shooting blanks at each other, and a damsel in distress. A muscle man would gulp down some of the patent medicine and suddenly be able to do ever more fantastic feats of strength. And like the voodoo ceremonies tourists pay to see in New Orleans today, the rubes could enter a tent and see a real live ceremony, minus the spiritual initiation, but still plenty powerful. Just please buy a pamphlet and a bottle of patent medicine on the way out. Thank you, friends. And if you think the idea of a strong man putting on an act to sell patent medicine to the rubes is ridiculous, that's exactly what people like Joe Rogan and Gwyneth Paltrow and Alex Jones do today. They're selling health and vitality, miracle cures. The performance is the primary part of the song and dance life. Do some tricks, make show, make it good, understand your role and what it means to society. But beyond the performance, there's the traveling life. Being on the road is the whole point. Like the musician Nick Cave wrote in one of the email newsletters he did to keep sane over the long global lockdown, I have come to the conclusion that I am essentially a thing that tours. There is a terrible yearning and a feeling of a life being half-lived. Well, we are coming out of our holes at long last. The concert and theater calendars are once again filling up with show dates. The movie theaters are meekly reopening. 
And by sometime this fall, the population of planet Earth will again have the Church of Public Performance open again. Along with the rituals of birth and life and death, funerals and parties, weddings and festivals, church summer camps where puberty blossoms. Around a campfire, the hypnotic flames do what the special effects of stage and screen cannot, no matter how fantastic. The campfire hypnotizes through the strange natural rhythms of fire and fuel, the darkness of a desert or forest or seaside night, the tall tales of the park ranger or class clown, the sing-alongs of old songs, old melodies from ancient times. and across the great Mojave wilderness. This is Desert Oracle Radio broadcasting from Joshua Tree on Friday nights at 10 p.m. and heard on air around the United States on community radio stations and on your podcast player in your pocket. And we are excited to do Desert Oracle performances again. I don't have any dates to announce yet, but we got a couple of things in progress. We're going to do some campfire stories, and we're going to do our nightclub stage show. Which we last did at First World in Joshua Tree, right before the times changed. The soundscapes you heard on tonight's program are composed and performed by Joshua Tree's own Red, Blue, Black, Silver. I believe Red, Blue, Black, Silver has a new record out. You can look him up on Bandcamp or Twitter or wherever. You know I hate saying website names on this show. It just kind of dirties it. Speaking of this show, you can find out more about the program at DesertOracle.com and you can support our work by going to patreon.com forward slash desert oracle thanks to all of you who help out keep the swamp cooler running out here enjoy what's left of the spring and get ready for the hot months thank you for listening and good night from the voice of the desert <laughs>